0: Our reading again, uh, as in our service earlier, is from Luke's Gospel from the first chapter of Luke and beginning to read at verse 5. The Good News recorded by Luke, chapter 1 and beginning at verse 5. In the days of Herod king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? for I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple, and when he came out he was unable to speak to them, and they realised that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute, and when his time of service was ended he went to his home. After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me. In the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of God.
1: Uh, Please keep open in front of you that passage that Robert read for us from Luke chapter 1 verses 5 to 25. And we're continuing to look today at the first of these two annunciations. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, these announcements of impending births, Uh, Luke sets these annunciations side by side so that we are able to compare them and to contrast them. The second annunciation describes the announcement of the coming birth of the Messiah to Mary. And the first of these announcements describes the birth of the Messiah's forerunner or the Messiah's herald, John the Baptist, to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we saw this morning how these two Annunciation stories parallel and echo the many Annunciations by angels in the Old Testament Announcements of the birth of miracle baby boys made to barren women in the Old Testament. Baby boys who would grow into men through whom God would do awesome works of salvation. And Luke is showing us here by presenting us with these two birth announcements At the beginning of his gospel that God is about to do something like that again. He is about to do something on a par with past acts of grace and power and glory. Something in the same kind of league as the foundation of his people through Abraham's miracle son Isaac. That tradition... That pattern is continuing here. This morning, we looked together at the setting of the vision that was given to Zechariah in which the coming birth of a son was announced. And we saw how it takes place at an extremely significant place and time. It happens in the temple where Zechariah is serving God as a priest. And we saw this morning that this is no typical day at work for Zechariah either. This is the one and only time in his life when he's going to offer this incense sacrifice in the holy place during the time of prayer. He's never going to have this opportunity again the people outside the temple are praying they're praying for god's blessing and for god's mercy upon the nation and zechariah as the representative priest on the on behalf of the people goes into the holy place and he makes that prayer as well he prays for god's blessing and for god's mercy and god's peace upon the nation. And he offers incense on the incense altar which rises up to God as a kind of symbol or picture representing the prayers of his people ascending up to God's throne. So we've thought about the setting of the vision and now we want to think in verses 11 to 17 about the seeing of the vision. The seeing of the vision. While Zechariah is in the holy place, preparing the incense sacrifice, the angel Gabriel appears to him. Now, this happens without any kind of warning at all. It takes place completely out of the blue. And it would be hard to overstate the suddenness. And the unexpectedness of what happens here in verse 11. One minute, Zechariah is alone in the temple. And everything is completely silent. And he's moving about in the dim light of the sanctuary, going about his work. The next second, he turns around and there is An angel standing beside the incense altar. Is it any wonder that it says that Zechariah was troubled and afraid? You bet your life he was troubled and afraid. But it wasn't just the shock of suddenly seeing someone in a place that you didn't expect to see anyone. It wasn't just the shock of seeing someone appear out of nowhere. Although that would have been enough of a shock itself. No, we need to understand that what is happening here was a very, very unusual experience. Remember again what we saw this morning. Chronologically, this is the first event in the New Testament. This is the first thing out of all that's going to unfold in the life and ministry of John and Jesus and the apostles and the Acts and so on, this is chronologically the first thing that happens. So you need to try to think yourself into Zechariah's shoes at this point. There has been no direct word from the Lord since the prophet Malachi 400 years before this. Angelic appearances were rare. Even in the Old Testament, they were rare. But nothing like this has happened to anyone for centuries. Try to imagine, would you expect something to happen to you tomorrow on your way to work that hasn't happened to anyone since 1620? That's what it would have been like for Zechariah. We sometimes maybe read the Bible and we we think that angels were appearing every other Tuesday, uh, that they were appearing to people around every corner, that this was a common occurrence, that people expected this kind of thing to happen. But they didn't. This was not a common occurrence at all. We saw this morning that this is the highest and the most significant moment of Zechariah's life. And it is at this precise moment that God sends this angel, Gabriel, with a message for Zechariah. What is the message? Well, Gabriel reassures Zechariah immediately. He tells him not to fear. Because what he is bringing is not bad news of judgment, but good news. Your prayer has been heard, Gabriel tells Zechariah. Well, what prayer? What is the prayer that Gabriel's referring to? What is the prayer of Zechariah that has been heard and that God is now answering? Is it Zechariah's prayer for a child? Or is it a prayer, the prayer that he has just prayed As priest in the temple asking for God's blessing upon the nation asking for peace for the nation asking for salvation for Israel is it a prayer for a child or is it the prayer for the salvation of the nation and actually I don't think we have to choose between those two options because the prayer that God has heard and is answering is both of those things Zechariah's prayer for God's blessing upon Israel is going to be answered by giving a son to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it is that baby boy, when he grows up, who will be the means of bringing blessing to the nation and preparing the nation for the salvation of God. John will be part of the means by which God will answer Zechariah's prayer for blessing upon the nation. Zechariah is to give his baby boy the name John. That's not explained by Luke, but the name John means God, the Lord, has been gracious. The Lord has been gracious. And what a very appropriate name that is for this baby. And again, we're seeing here the two levels on which this story is operating. We thought about that this morning as well. Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to have joy and gladness because they're going to have a baby. But that joy is going to spread far beyond the bounds of their own family. Gabriel says in verse 14, Many will rejoice at his birth. Gabriel says in verse 15 that this baby will be great before the Lord. Well why is he going to be great before the Lord? What is so special about this child? What is it that this child is going to do that sets him apart and marks him out as special? Well Gabriel explains the importance of John and his ministry in verses 15 to 17. He says in verse 15 that John will be consecrated to the Lord. He's going to be consecrated. He's going to be set apart to the Lord. And that is going to be marked in John's life by a permanent abstinence from wine and from all strong drink. In the Old Testament, this was a mark of someone set apart for special work. I think Luke means us to think here of Samson and Samuel, both of whom were to abstain from wine and strong drink because they were set apart for special ministry. And of course, Samson and Samuel were two miracle baby boys whose birth was announced by angels in the Old Testament. And then we're told in verse 15 that John will be filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Here's another reason why he is so special. He's going to be filled with the Spirit of the Lord. In the Old Testament, great servants of God were empowered by the Holy Spirit for different acts of service. But John, again, we see here is going to be special He's going to be different. He's not just going to be clothed with the Spirit. He's not just going to be empowered by the Spirit. He's not going to be filled by the Spirit for a short time. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. From the very beginning of his life, he will be full of the Spirit of the Lord. And then in verses 16 and 17, We discover that John is going to be a prophet of the Lord. He's going to be a prophet of the Lord. That's going to be the nature of his ministry. That's uh, the sphere wherein his greatness will especially lie. He's going to be a prophet. Uh, Jesus calls John a prophet in chapter 7, verse 26 of Luke, but it's particularly how his mission is described here that sets him out as a prophet. Verses 16 and 17 describe his ministry as that of a prophet. And not just any prophet, but one prophet in particular. John the Baptist's ministry is going to be that of the prophet Elijah. We see that in verse 17. He will go before him in the spirit And power of Elijah. John's task, like Elijah's task, will be to call the nation to repentance and to reformation. That was Elijah's task, and that will be John's task. Verse 17 tells us that his ministry will bring about reconciliation between man and man. Verse 17, he will turn the hearts of fathers to the children. And he'll bring about reconciliation between man and God. Again, verse 17, turning the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's what John is going to do. Just what Elijah did. So John will do. And when you read on in Luke's gospel into chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, you have the account there of Luke's, of John's ministry, as he preaches a baptism of repentance, as he calls people to turn from their sins against one another and their sins against the Lord, as he calls them to prepare for the coming of the Lord. That's what's going to make this man special. That's why he's going to be so great before the Lord. And the Lord will fill him with the Spirit of God from his mother's womb so that he is equipped and empowered for this mission. Now remember again that these are the first words that God has spoken to his people in 400 years. These are the first words that God has spoken since the prophet Malachi. What were some of the last things that Malachi said to Israel? Let me read Malachi 3 verse 1. And then the last two verses of Malachi's prophecy. The last two verses of the Old Testament. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Here's what Malachi said. God is speaking through the prophet and he says, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. Malachi, God said through Malachi, the last time he spoke to his people, 400 years before Gabriel speaks to Zechariah, I am going to send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. The Lord will suddenly, unexpectedly, out of the blue, come to his temple. And then the last two verses Of Malachi's prophecy, literally the last thing that God said to his people four centuries before was this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Those were the last words that God spoke to his people. And now here we are at the beginning of Luke's gospel, at the beginning of the New Testament, 400 years on, and the Lord suddenly comes to his temple and speaks through Gabriel to this priest and announces the birth. The coming birth of a prophet who will minister in the power and the spirit of Elijah. You see what's happening here. God's promise, God's word, God's prophecy is being fulfilled to the letter before Zechariah's very eyes. After 400 years of waiting, suddenly now, at this moment, on this day, in this place, it is all coming true, the seeing of the vision. And then lastly, in verses 18 to 25, we want to think about the response to the vision. The response to the vision. How does Zechariah respond to this startling and wonderful news? Well, He questions it, and he asks for a sign to confirm it. Verse 18, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now it's clear from what Gabriel says in verse 20 that this reply by Zechariah is a reply of unbelief. You did not believe my words, Gabriel says. Zechariah is doubting God's word. He's doubting God's power. He's casting aspersions on God's truth. How can you doubt, you wonder? When an angel has come to you from the very presence of God, sent by God to you individually to bring not bad news, not unwelcome news, but good news. The kind of news that should set you leaping for joy rather than doubting and questioning and asking for signs. What sign could he want? Surely the appearance of an angel. Out of the blue in the temple should be all the sign that he needs. Friends, that is a warning and a challenge to you and me. Remember the kind of man Zechariah is. Verse 6, Zechariah and his wife were both righteous before God. Walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Zechariah is one of the best and holiest and most faithful men in all Judah. He's a priest. His whole life is committed to the service of God. And yet even this man, Zechariah, is capable of doubting God's clear word when it's spoken to him by an angel from heaven. You would have thought that Zechariah would be the last person in all Jerusalem to fail in this way. It's a reminder of what Robert Murray McShane once wrote. The seeds of all sins are in my heart. The seeds of all sins are in my heart. Don't ever presume that there is no sin that you could not commit. Don't think that you would never, could never deny the Lord or the truth of his word. If Zechariah could do it, then you and I could certainly do it. And yet God does give Zechariah a sign, doesn't he? It's a sign that will both confirm God's word, Gabriel's words, and also remind Zechariah of his lack of faith. He's going to be mute and it seems deaf. Not just for a few days. This is not going to be like Saul's blindness that lasted for three days. Zechariah is going to be deaf and mute for at least nine months. Nine months of complete and utter Silence. The last thing that Zechariah heard was the message of this good news from Gabriel. The last thing that he spoke was words of doubt. And now the Lord gives him at least nine months to repent of his unbelief and to think about the words of promise about his son and what the Lord is going to do through that child for His people, even before His birth, we see here John turning the heart of the father to the child, the disobedience, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, making Zechariah ready for the Lord, as a man prepared. And so, when Zechariah comes out of the temple, Gabriel's words. Are fulfilled. He can't speak. He can only communicate with the people by gestures. And yet that's a tremendous encouragement, isn't it? It's a chastening, yes. It's a judgment, yes. But it is an encouragement as well. Because if Gabriel's words about Zechariah not being able to speak are fulfilled, well then what does that mean? What does that say? About Gabriel's words about the child and all that the child is going to do in Israel. Well, as Gabriel puts it in verse 20, they will be fulfilled in their time. Gabriel was right about the muteness and the deafness. And so of course, everything else that he says must come true as well. Every word. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this wonderful? After centuries of waiting in God's time, all that he has promised is beginning to happen, just as he said that it would. And not just Gabriel's words, but Moses' words, and Isaiah's words, and Micah's words, and Malachi's words. They're all going to be fulfilled in their proper time. And then lastly, uh, Luke tells us not just about the response of Zechariah to the vision, but the response of Elizabeth. Verses 24 and 25 tell us Elizabeth's reaction to all of this. And it's slightly odd, isn't it? We're told that she kept herself hidden for five months. Why? Why does she keep herself hidden? This isn't the kind of confinement that some women went into for the last few months of her pregnancy. She's keeping herself hidden from the very beginning of the pregnancy. Now Luke doesn't explain the reason, but it may be very well what verse 25 suggests, that she's giving praise And thanks to God for his kindness and his grace. In the Old Testament, this is the kind of thanksgiving that came after the birth. When the child had been safely delivered. But Elizabeth doesn't wait until then. She's only five months in. But she's giving thanks and praise to God for this child. And Elizabeth represents to us the response of strong faith. She believes what God says. Zechariah didn't believe, or at least he doubted. But Elizabeth does believe. And the tense of the verb that she uses in verse 25 indicates the finality of what God has done. She's saying it's as as good as done. He's definitely going to do it, no matter how unlikely it may seem, no matter how difficult it may be. If God has said that it's going to happen, well then, it is definitely going to happen. She doesn't seem to entertain any doubts or any misgivings, and it would have been understandable in a way if she had, wouldn't it? It would have been fairly natural. If she had been anxious about the pregnancy, given her age, she might have been nervous about whether she and the child could cope with the trauma of childbirth, but instead she speaks with confidence, as though the baby has already been born and is sleeping quietly in her arms. In other words, she believes everything that Gabriel has said. Her faith is such a contrast to that of her husband's doubt. In fact, in Luke's gospel, women often come out better than the men. They're often shown to be stronger and more faithful than the men. Not only is she pregnant, she believes that she's going to bear this child safely and that he will go on to do all that the Lord has said he will. And friends, that's the kind of faith that you and I need to exercise. Whatever God says, we believe it. No matter how difficult, no matter how improbable, no matter how countercultural it may seem, we believe it with complete, simple, childlike trust. God hasn't sent an angel to appear to us in a vision, but whenever we read his word and whenever we hear his word preached, he is speaking to us, and he's speaking to us with exactly the same degree of authority as if an angel, as if Gabriel himself had appeared to us and spoken it or even as if the audible voice of God had boomed from the heavens. Whatever God says, we must believe it. So when God says that he is working all things for the good of his people, we're to believe that and we're to put our trust in it. When he says that Christ will come again like a thief in the night, to judge the living and the dead, and to establish a world of righteousness. We are to believe that, and we are to put our trust in it. When God says to you in his word that you can resist any and every temptation, we must believe it, and we must put our trust in it, because he has spoken. I wonder how often we respond to God's word like Zechariah, how can I know this, rather than humbly believing it, like Elizabeth? God has said it in his word, and that's all I need to know. May God forgive us for failing to believe his words. May he strengthen our faith so that we believe every word that has come to us from the mouth of God. He is faithful to all his promises. As the whole of the New Testament bears witness, starting here, now, with this appearance by Gabriel and the promise of the birth of John to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Amen. Well, let's bow our heads for prayer. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, we give you our thanks and our praise once again because you have spoken. You are a speaking God. You're not like the dumb and mute and deaf idols of the nations who have mouths but can't speak, who Do not communicate, who cannot reveal anything. You're not like the idols of the nations that have ears but cannot hear. Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are a God who hears, and a God who speaks, and a God who answers prayer. We praise you, Lord God, for how we see that beginning here right at the very start of the New Testament after this 400 year gap between all the promises of the old testament and the beginning of all the fulfillments in the new testament we rejoice o god in your faithfulness and we pray lord god that you will help us to take to heart the challenge of this passage that we will not be like zechariah even though we may be faithful and committed to you true believers Lord, we are weak and we can fall. We pray that you will help us not to doubt your word, but like Elizabeth, to respond to it in faith. Heavenly Father, forgive us for how, even in these past days, we have not believed your word. Please highlight for us, by your Holy Spirit, those areas in our lives where we are failing to believe your word, to take it seriously and to put it into practice. Strengthen our faith, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.